We see a lot of students um, who are neurodiverse, and many of them also have anxiety and depression because they've internalized their neurodiversity as some kind of moral failing on their part, right? If they just were uh, good enough, they would be able to cope. This is Parent Them Successful with author and licensed educational psychologist, Jessica Shields. Your child no longer has to struggle. On this parenting podcast, we unravel the complexities of the education system, give insight into intervention services, and offer encouragement and tools alongside your parenting journey. It's time for your child to thrive. Welcome your host, LEP educator and mom of four, Jessica Shields. Hello, Parent Warrior, and welcome to the Parent Them Successful podcast. I'm so glad you're tuning in. Today, I want to discuss a very important topic with you regarding the mental health state of our children due to these academic stressors, pressures, and everything that has them just having a hard time dealing with their emotions and managing everything they have going on. There are so many warning signs you need to be aware of so that you can intervene early and help your child cope or even recalibrate so that they are in a healthier mind space. So today I am bringing back a special guest from episode 73 to really help us understand what our children may be feeling and experiencing as these pressures rise up. She knows the importance of balance and also when it's time or maybe time for your child to shift their academic journey and pursuits. So make sure you stick around until the end because there are some things you may need to consider if you are noticing your child is feeling extremely overwhelmed, especially their health, if it's taking a dive because of what they have going on in the pressure. Also stick around for this week's parenting challenge and your loving reminder. You definitely don't want to miss that. So I am just really excited to introduce to you our very special guest, Sheila Akbar. Sheila joined the SICNIC team in the summer of 2010, bringing with her a wealth of experience teaching SAT, ACT, GRE, literature and composition in both the one-on-one and classroom settings. She loves both teaching and learning and finds nothing more rewarding than working closely with students to overcome the challenges they face. And after graduating from Harvard in 20 or 2002, Sheila spent two years working in financial services before continuing her academic career, which culminated into two doctorates. She brings her significant business and academic experience to bear on her current role at Signet. And let me tell you, her skills include speaking to every client to craft a tailored solution for their needs, managing the administrative team and providing educational thought leadership for the company. She holds a bachelor's degree and master's degree from Harvard University and two doctoral degrees from Indiana University. Sheila, I'm so glad to have you back. How are you doing today? I'm good, Jessica. Thanks for having me back. How are you? I'm good. Hey, tell us a little bit about your journey. And honestly, why is this topic so important to you? Sure. Yeah. Um, last time I was here, I kind of gave you the long version. So I'll keep it a little bit shorter. But <laughs> no problem. Didn't hear the other episode, uh, which you should go back and listen to. Um, uh, I let's see, I grew up in Michigan. There was uh, I, 
excuse me, I grew up in Michigan in an immigrant family, and there was just always tons of pressure, right? Pressure uh, to be academically successful. My parents wanted me to be a doctor. They wanted me to go to the best college. Um, but there was also a lot of social pressure. I mean, we lived in a small town. Um, we were maybe one of three non-white, non-Christian families who were there, and that was um, a challenge, let's say. Um, and I didn't have uh, people who look like me that I could talk to to understand mm. those challenges. And, you know, my parents as immigrants, they kind of just thought they were doing something wrong. And that's why when we walked into a restaurant, everybody stopped eating and looked at us. Um, mm. Or, you know, when, when we were dressed in our cultural attire to go, you know, to a wedding or something like that, we got stared at on the streets. Um, and I didn't, I didn't have the tools to really understand what all that was. So there was, there was a lot of pressure growing up. Um, and all through college, I went to a, a very high pressure college. Um, graduate school is also a very high pressure environment. You feel like your brain is being judged all the time. Mm. Um, and so, um, while, uh, I feel like I've been blessed to have developed the tools and the network, um, and have a therapist so I don't, you know, suffer from um, heightened anxiety all that often, um, I know that a lot of people don't have those blessings in their life. Um, and especially our young people, you know, our, our company works pretty much only with the high school population. I and mean, we work with some eighth graders and some college students as well, but really our focus is the high school population. And just in the last, you know, well, let's say four or five years, um, mm -hmm. The increase of um, anxiety, depression, um, eating disorders among our clients has just skyrocketed, especially wow. during the pandemic. I think a lot of people were sort of forced to face that reality. Um, and of course, there's so many things uh, that started happening at that time and unfortunately are still continuing um, that have increased the anxiety, I think, of the entire world. Um, mm -hmm. And so it's it's no wonder that um, kids are feeling it. They don't have all the tools that adults have access to, um, and so it's it's pretty important to me to to be um, a voice to sort of advocate for them. You know, I'm I'm glad you said that. You know, you're acknowledging that you see that increase in anxiety and depression as well, and it's the same thing in the schools. We're mm -hmm. seeing the increase. And it's just from everything that the kids have to deal with. I don't know what it is, but nowadays, maybe they don't have those coping skills. Maybe it's just a lot more going on because we have that social media component mm -hmm. that just <laughs> impacts or it just has such a, a more of a magnifying effect. And that's something that we didn't have to deal with as we were growing up. So I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not shocked to know that you two are seeing the same things that we're seeing in the schools. Mm -hmm. And what do you think is happening in our schools that is leading to this epidemic of anxiety and depression, especially among our teens and really, truly, especially our girls? What do you yeah. think is going on? Yeah, well, I think certainly school might have something to do with it, academic pressure, but I also think it's cultural and social. Um, mm -hmm. I think it's, it's bigger systems than just what's happening in your child's classroom. Um, I think we have gotten obsessed with the idea of uh, you have to go to a quote-unquote good college 
in order mm-hmm. to be successful in life. And if you don't get into, you know, one of these maybe 100 schools that people are always talking about, uh, then you're some kind of failure and you have no chance to have a fulfilling, meaningful life, mm-hmm. uh, which, of course, is a lie. Uh, it's not true. <laughs> um, right. But kids really feel that way, that how they do in this one class or how they do on this one test, like the SAT, is going to determine their future, and there's mm-hmm. nothing they can do about it. Uh, that's a lot of pressure on an mm-hmm. adolescent's uh, shoulders, especially when they're just developmentally not really able to see the full picture. Um, and then there's also the, the pressure from, from families um, uh, around you know expectations of, of certain grades or certain behaviors or um, th- this idea that um, mental health concerns are not as real as a physical illness. Mm -hmm, Um, They mm -hmm. really are. And I know that we've made great strides in bringing awareness to this over just the last 10 years. Um, But there's a lot more that needs to be done. There's still a lot of stigma and disbelief and denial. Um, And that extends to learning disabilities and executive function challenges as well, because we see a lot of students um, who are neurodiverse and many of them also have anxiety and depression because they've internalized their neurodiversity as some kind of moral failing on their part, mm. right? If mm. they just were uh, good enough, they would be able to focus or they would be able to mm-hmm. overcome their dyslexia or something like that, right? Mm-hmm. Um, when mm-hmm. that's not the case, their brain just works differently and they really right. need to accept that difference um, instead of reject it as, as a failing, right? So uh, we see a lot of that happening. And I think for, for young girls, um, yeah, I mean, let's just acknowledge adolescence is a very hard time. Um, mm-hmm. But also for women, the world is a hard place. You know, you are yeah, just yeah. bombarded with images uh, of who you should be like and what you should dress like and what your How hair much should, you should weigh. Like and, yeah, exactly. Yeah. All of these things. And, and people feel... Um, like they're entitled to comment on these things. You know, mm-hmm. I know just going to family functions, I'm like, oh, they're going to say something about my hair nah. or my uh. or what, You know, I don't want to think about these things. And, <laughs> right. Um, you know, so, so those sort of cultural forces uh, have long been in place. Um, mm-hmm. And I think we're at a point where, you know, our, our general feminism is not matching up with the reality. And that's frustrating. That tension mm-hmm. is really, really frustrating. Um, so uh, it's it's hard. It's just really hard on these kids. And, you know, you're probably in a better position to speak on what's actually happening that's causing this anxiety. But the forces I see, there's kind of two big ones that, that I am able to pick out just from my perspective. And I'm, you know, not a mental health professional, but mm-hmm. uh, from my position as an educator, um, two things that really contribute to anxiety. One is comparison. Mm-hmm. And it's never been easier to compare yourself to others with all the social media that we have. Um, right. And you hear, oh, you know, so-and-so built a school in some country, and of course they're going to get to go to Princeton or something like that, or, or they invented right. a cure for this obscure disease. So, of course, you know, they're going to go mm-hmm. to this place. And, and I want to point out to people the reason you hear news headlines about kids doing amazing things is because they are so rare. 
It is not mm-hmm. that everybody is doing this thing and that's why they're going to this amazing school. These are, you know, rare cases where kids are making huge breakthroughs or contributions to society and so they're being called out in the media. Um, but that is not the norm and students right. hold themselves to those standards. Um, so comparison is a big one, I think, that is happening. And then the other big one that I think has um, been exacerbated by the pandemic is uncertainty, mm. right? Um, mm-hmm. When the pandemic hit, we didn't know anything about this disease. Um, we didn't know how it spread. We didn't know how long it lasted. We didn't know what the effects were. We didn't know any treatments. We didn't have vaccines, right? It was just right. Chaos. The it world was chaos. shut down, and you know our generation has never seen that happen before. So that right. was very scary. Um, and then the impact on school was tremendous, right? Either mm-hmm. schools closed for a period of time, and they came back, and they tried to do this thing called remote learning, which mm-hmm. teachers didn't really know how to do, and students didn't really know how to do. Um, and uh, you know there was immense pressure put on everybody. Um, a lot of schools um, decided to grade that semester, spring of 2020, pass-fail, and they canceled mm-hmm. all the extracurriculars. So kids who were really focused on their college application profile were like, well, what do I do with this? How is college going to look at this? Exactly. You know, I don't have grades. I, I can't play my sport anymore or this thing that I was the president of, I can't do anymore. Um, and so does it just wipe out all of this hard work that I've put in? Um, so there's that uncertainty. I think um, the SAT and the ACT, you know, went away for most of COVID. And then as mm-hmm. schools kind of came back, they were test optional. And there's a real question about what do I do with that? How do I navigate deciding how to take the test or not take the test? And what's going to be best for me? Um, and then there's just the general uncertainty of the world, right? COVID mm-hmm. is still here. It's still a big threat to a lot of people. Um, right. Even though there are, you know, treatments and vaccines. And, and thankfully, we're seeing you know, the death rate go down, um, it's still a big threat, right? And it still right. can be very disruptive to your life. So, you know, I had students um, even just a few weeks ago telling me, like, I'm really worried about being in school in person because I don't want to have to miss school because I have COVID because there's this exam coming up and they're not doing remote learning anymore. So there's no way for me to keep up with the material if I'm out of school and then I'm in a hole and like, how do I navigate this? And right? there's the anxiety. <laughs> mm-hmm. Exactly. Um, and then, you know, there's a war in Europe. There are um, clear signs of climate change all around us. These <laughs> natural disasters. There are political turmoil. Um, there's a lot going on right now. And, and they're so, thinking about it, too. They're constantly exactly. thinking about it. Mm-hmm. Because they feel like older generations are not taking those concerns seriously. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. Right? And so they feel like, okay, and then, you know, let's not gloss over all these school shootings. Right. right school right. is not a safe place for kids. That's right. terrifying. Mm-hmm. Right. As adults, I think it's a, it's a bit more of like a theoretical, hypothetical threat mm-hmm. because we're not in school buildings all day long. Except right. for the teachers, then we always Except are thinking teachers. about yeah, it. Yeah, of course. We're always teachers. locking our doors and mm-hmm. <laughs> it, the people but, that work in the building, right? <laughs> I mean, that's terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. To think that one of your cl- any one of your classmates could snap someday, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that's terrifying, right? Mm-hmm. So let's first just acknowledge that these kids are um, anxiety is the right response. <laughs> I think to all of these things. Right. right. 
um, that there are legitimate reasons for them to feel really unsafe and unstable. Um, mm-hmm. And the question is, what do we want to do about it? Right. Exactly. As a society. Right. And certainly mm-hmm. there are places that I think our political leadership needs to step up. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. You know, we're not going to solve that problem by talking about it on a podcast, but that's absolutely something that needs to happen. Um, right. But then there are things that like we can do sort of more in our, you know, local community where, or even just in our interpersonal relationships, um, reserving judgment. If somebody is showing signs of anxiety or depression, encouraging them to get help, really deeply kind of connecting with other people and checking in on people, especially mm-hmm. young men, right? Mm-hmm. Or men in general, they don't feel like they can share their emotions or how they're doing. Yeah, but there's a block. Off, mm-hmm. You know, a lot of the times they're the ones who are the, um, you know, hurt the most by um, elements of toxic masculinity. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we need to check in with our friends, with our people, have a great support network. I think everybody should have a therapist. Um, and I think parents can um, be a little more sympathetic to their kids, honestly. Um, I think I hear a lot of parents being like, oh, this is nothing compared to what I went through in high school. And it's like, all right, that might be the case. But don't you want it to be easier for your kids? Exactly. Don't you want them to have a better time? Why do you insist that they should go through the hardships that you had to struggle through? And it's a badge of honor. A lot of mm-hmm. times I, I mm-hmm. see that w- what you're saying, uh, parents feel like, well, it wasn't you didn't have it half as hard as I did. And and there's this joke in the South, especially in the rural areas. And I'm sure some other places parents say I had to walk five miles to school or 10 miles to school mm-hmm. one way, you know. Mm-hmm. OK, yes, I don't have to walk. But there are other things that they're dealing with. Society has evolved. It's changed. And yeah. I'm sure their parents. Parents probably say you didn't have it as hard as I did, exactly. but we're not here to judge and compare how hard, who it's had it the hardest. <laughs> yes. Yeah. I mean, as a parent myself, I know I want to work myself to the bone to make sure my kid has it easier than I did. Yes. Yes. You're breaking barriers. And that's what we mean. We're, we're not yeah. saying that life is easy, but just saying that we want to break down barriers. If they don't have to have a certain barrier that we experienced, we want to make sure that 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 barrier is gone for our kids. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, but then, you know, it's also important to teach them how to cope with yeah. struggles. And I think that sometimes maybe parents don't know how to uh, teach those coping skills we first we have to be models of it mm-hmm. and um and then also recognize when our child is struggling so that we can intervene and mm-hmm. what i like for parents to do i like for them to make a uh, call a meeting with the school hey my child is really struggling with the amount of homework this is a lot of homework i would never forget i went to a uh, back to school night and It was a biology honors class that my daughter was in. It was her freshman year in high school. And one of the parents was like, look, you give too much homework, woman. Not not like that, but (laughs) but she called out the teacher. She was like, look, my daughter is staying up too late doing your homework. And so guess what the teacher did? She cut down on homework. Simple as that. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, I'm just thinking about, you know, the pressures, the things that are just uh, taking a toll on our 
children's anxiety. So, uh, but you know what? Something that you brought up, uh, brought attention to, uh, you know, offline was that there's pressure on our parents too and Mm -hmm. their employers there there's pressure and it's being uh, matriculated you know down to the kids but what role can employers play in just taking the pressure off of our working parents yeah and again i think you know um there is a political solution or governmental solution to some of these pressures too but in the absence of that or while we're waiting for that there are things employers can do especially at a time where employers are um trying to attract and retain uh, the best people, right? There's this great reshuffling going on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, there are definitely things that employers can do to um, meet that goal, but also truly help help parents, working parents. Um, and so a lot of times uh, when you think about an employer supporting a working parent, it's like providing childcare for their kids who aren't in school yet. Um, mm. or maybe after-school care, or subsidizing some kind of programming, or getting them access to mental health care, which is all great and definitely needs to continue. But mm. when we see this mental health crisis most acutely um, uh, targeting our um, adolescents, mm-hmm. something needs to be done at that level too, right? And so right. one of the things I talk to employers about a lot is having – just information and strategies available to employees, either through, you know, some sort of support network or, you know, I go into companies and I talk to people about what does the college admissions process look like and when do you need to worry about what? That relieves Mm -hmm. so much stress when a parent doesn't really know how to navigate that. Um, Mm -hmm. To just have that kind of thing um, is really helpful. Um, or in my company, we do a lot of um, coaching work. So it's executive function coaching and life coaching for teenagers. And there are some strategies and skills that come from that coaching practice that can be very helpful for parents to implement with their kids. Um, just taking stock of their life, doing a time diary, getting clear on the study and organizational skills that are going to help their kids be more successful in their classes. So it's not learning the science or the math, but it's learning how to study or how to manage your time or how to Mm. um, balance things, right? Um, Right. That can sometimes relieve some of this pressure that can, you know, it's not going to cure a mental health challenge, but it can certainly help um, put them on the path to to recovery. Um, So there are things like that that I always encourage employers to to think about uh, offering and giving access to, to their employees that can mm-hmm. really help and be a win-win for both sides there. That is awesome. And I appreciate you sharing that. And I just want to give you space to add any final advice for parents. Well, I think um, this is such a serious concern mm-hmm. that uh, I want parents to take it really seriously when their kid says, I think I have ADHD or, you know, you see them kind of not, not finding enjoyment from the things that they used to enjoy or, they're on an emotional roller coaster, or even on the opposite end of this, some kids, uh, the way that their anxiety um, shows up is that they become these like extreme perfectionists, mm, mm-hmm. uh, and they and they they overstudy. They're just studying all the time, um, or they're revising, revising, revising a paper, and it's like, hey, it's been good enough for a week now. <laughs> like you, can yeah. Um, and and so you see those signs to take them very seriously. And to talk to 
a mental health professional, your child's doctor about what you're seeing and get them the help that they might need. And it might be that they need a therapist. They might need uh, a medication or something like that. And of course, there are lots of different ways to, to treat things. Um, they, they may just need a mentor, right? Mm-hmm. Somebody else to talk to about these sorts of things. Um, and so when, when families call us, I'm always thinking like, do they need a tutor? Do they need a coach? Or should I refer them out to a mental health professional? Mm-hmm. Um, and so there are a lot of options. Um, it doesn't necessarily mean that this is going to be a big expensive thing with, you know, medical interventions and things like that. Um, but you got to take it seriously um, and let you know, let your kid know that you're there for them and that you, that you, take, you take their concerns seriously. I love that. Thank you so much for sharing. And by now, parent listening, I hope that you're thinking about all of this information, how to really show up for your child and their mental health and just making sure that they're well regulated and in a healthy space. So I want to challenge you as a parent this week. I really want you to closely observe and watch how your child manages stressors from school. If you notice a problem, the first step is that you can actually call a meeting with the teachers and the counselor to come up with a plan of action that will support your child and protect their mental health. And I just want to leave you with a loving reminder that don't do anything alone. Don't do anything alone. Always seek the help from your child's education partners and they can direct that path. After all, that's what they're there for. And so use that resource. Well, I surely hope this episode has blessed you. And if it has, again, hit that follow or subscribe button so that you don't miss any new episodes. And as you think about that loved one, that friend who needs this information, share the link, parentthemsuccessful.com. And if you're the type of parent like me who's serious who is really serious about better supporting your child's growth and development, join my email list for more free content to help you on your parenting journey at strongermindsstrongeryouth.com forward slash join the list. And it will be in the show notes. I really do appreciate you. And I thank you so much for listening. So until next time, be blessed and love on your children. Thank you for listening to the Parent Them Successful with licensed educational psychologist, Jessica Shields. We're so glad you've joined us and would love to connect with you outside of the show. To find more information about our services, the Empower House Academy, or to take our quiz, What's Your Parenting Style? Go to StrongerMindStrongerYouth.com. Feel free to email us directly at info at StrongerMindStrongerYouth.com. We'd love to hear from you. Other ways to stay connected are on Instagram and Facebook by searching Stronger Mind, Stronger Youth and on Twitter at official underscore SMSY. Until next time, be well and love your children for they are a gift from the Lord.